This morning's scripture reading is uh, from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Again, Mark 5, verses 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed. And Jesus, perceiving in him that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone, some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they had said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's mother and father and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is God's Word. Well, uh, Happy New Year to you guys. Hope you're well. This turn in Jesus' story, in chapters 4 and 5 of Mark's Gospel, we've dubbed a royal confrontation. A new regime meets old. And the image we've sort of used with this, our little postcard, and you can see behind me here, is of two waves hurtling towards each other and crashing against each other. And during this sort of turn in the story, we've witnessed Jesus' kingdom exposing, uh, drawing out, forcing the hand of the old and weaker king. See, God's initial purpose for us as human beings was to rule the world, to reign over His earth, according to Genesis 1. And though he gives man his own kingdom, human beings forsake 
their own throne to go after God's. To run their own lives. The lives He intended to lovingly run. And so the serpent, that evil serpent who once made the same error, took the throne intended for man and has been there ever since. Sitting in that throne. Exercising influence from that throne. Such now that Satan is described in the New Testament as the God or ruler of this world. John, uh, 1 John 5 says that the world lies in his power. Taking advantage of man's rebellion and discontentment, the devil's unleashed evil into all spheres of human life, human experience. This is interesting. And, and, and why I bring it up today is that in these chapters, the new king, King Jesus, confronts the four main categories of evil we experience in life. So first we saw in the parable of the sower, what stands out, in fact, what stood out that morning is the individual's hardness of heart called the sinful nature when collectively brought together is called the world. The cares of this world choke all that is good, all that is godly within us, all that is growing. And Jesus confronts that. He confronts the world with the good news, what he calls the seed. And then we get the storm on Lake Galilee of, of natural disaster proportions, if you'll remember, which represents the rebellion of nature. The rebellion of nature is an evil. It's, we were told in Romans 8 that, that all creation is subject to decay and it groans. Jesus confronts this natural rebellion with an example of trust, followed by a word to rebuke and calm the storm. Then we see King Jesus draw a legion of demons afflicting a man in the Decapolis. And so he confronts personal evil, the demonic. It's a personal kind of evil. Not only do they know Jesus, but they actually talk to Jesus. They try to reason with Jesus. In some ways, ironically, the demons have more faith in Jesus than other people. They know who He is. They know His character. It's a personal kind of evil which Jesus confronts by expelling every single one of them from oppressing this new disciple. And today we get sickness which Jesus confronts by healing to the point of even reversing death. It's brilliant. It's brilliant to see this. And it's one of the reasons we primarily go through the Bible as it's laid out on Sunday mornings is you can glean great and glorious truth from individual passages in the Bible and about Jesus, but we can also glean great and glorious truth from how they're put together, from seeing a pattern, how they're put together in God's plan. That's what we see here when we step back. We see the new king confront and subdue every category of evil. Every major category of evil assault used by the old regime. And so, A, he demonstrates the extent of his care for us, right? He covers every base, every kind of evil that you and I experience, the people we love experience, Jesus confronts. And B, he gives us a picture of our future with him as he slowly transformed this lowly kingdom into his eternal kingdom. And what a great picture that is. For those of us who need hope in the midst of evil. Even today, 
Jesus loves to break in to display and then expand his kingdom influence in real lives like ours. And so, for instance, as he does with a woman bleeding for 12 years and a dying 12-year-old, Jesus still breaks in and reverses the evil of sickness by healing a person to demonstrate what he will one day do for all persons who trust in him. And so we'll talk today about instantaneous physical healing done by God and for his glory. We won't get to all questions about healing. We don't have time for that, but we will talk about instantaneous physical healing done by God and for his glory. And I'm just going to start with my own experience with this. I believe in, but have never witnessed instantaneous physical healing. All right, I've never been a skeptic really about it. Uh, To be honest, for for lack of a better word, I've been kind of chill about it since I've known God, trusted Christ. Even when trusted Christ, I heard the occasional rumor or story about physical healing. I think, man, that's awesome. It's so encouraging. And then I'd hear other people share questions they had when they heard stories about healing. Doubts raised, and I thought, you know, that's a good point. They understand that too. So I never had a first-hand encounter, but my first second-hand encounter, if you will, was during a round of golf, making the turn up in uh, Chicago where I was a member of a vineyard church, and my friend was telling me about witnessing healing firsthand. This was a friend of mine whom I had every reason to believe, trusted him, He was talking with me about it, about a rock climbing trip, and a woman who had a nasty fall of about 20 feet, and on the way down, her arm, her left arm careened against a rock, breaking it, and exposing the bone slightly, right? She got a compound fracture. And after calling the ambulance, and I want to emphasize that after calling, because I want you to notice that medical care can be God's appointed means of healing. It doesn't mean you lack faith because you call an ambulance. It's okay. But after calling the ambulance, a couple of Christian guys were there, prayed for this woman. Uh, they laid hands near her wound. And you'll notice in both our examples this morning in Mark's gospel, involved physical touch also. Anyway, the friend said he witnessed as they prayed the bleeding recede, the skin closed up, and she did go to the hospital, but the x-rays were clear of a fracture, even though they saw the bone protruding from her skin. Now, since that time, I've uh, prayed for others. I've prayed for others' physical healing, and with great motive. It's not like I didn't have a motive or desire. It includes my wife, who's had a debilitating disease for the first 12 years I've known her, including the first six years of our marriage. Even as I prayed for others, I've never personally experienced, to my knowledge, instantaneous physical healing. Never experienced it, to my knowledge. Now, some of you, upon hearing this, you're secretly thinking, thank you, Ryan. Thank you for being normal. Not some dude pressing foreheads, right, making outlandish promises while wearing snakeskin shoes. Right? Like, yes! This is going to happen in all time! Sort of thing. Thank you for being, not being that guy. I know some of you are secretly thinking that. Woo! I would say not so fast. I would love to witness and experience firsthand someone dear to me who is sick or who is injured. Someone dear to me. Someone, any of you who are dear to me 
healed. I would love to witness and experience that. I trust even today that Jesus wishes to heal by the power of God the Holy Spirit. In fact, after my sermon, we are going to pray for the sick. Sick who are here this morning. Injured who are here this morning. Now, others of you hearing this, who perhaps prayed for, witnessed, even experienced divine healing, or at least saw it on Channel 24, right? Or heard about some great miracle and a Ford that managed to get past your spam folder, and said, that sounds pretty real. You may be like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit finally wheeling and dealing in this place. To which I'd say, not so fast. I don't think physical healing should be either the cornerstone strategy or the all-consuming focus of Sunrise Community Church, even as we pray for it, which we're commanded to do. In fact, it was not Jesus' focus. Not even in this story we read this morning, which features healing so prominently, wasn't his focus. In this passage, Jesus is primarily concerned with that which connects him to the people he loves. The only thing that can connect you to the God who created you is trust, aka faith, aka belief. Quick disclaimer all, of, all three of which come from the same Greek word but are translated differently in different cases. So they all come from the same Greek word which the New Testament is written in. I'm going to use the word trust this morning, primarily because I think it best approximates for today what was meant by the term in the New Testament. Faith has come to mean something that one possesses. We often say, my faith is important to me, right? Or do you have some kind of faith? It's something we possess. And belief has come to approximate mental assent only. Like, what are your church's beliefs? Right? Which means propositions we believe are true. Trust requires both the entire person, one's will, mind, emotions, and is directed towards another person, not a possession. So trust might be semantics to you, but it's a big thing for me. The only thing to connect you and the God who created you is trust. Hence, Jesus' brief words to the synagogue ruler here in verse 36. Do not fear. Only, only believe. Only. The words literally translated. In fact, if you read some of the King James Version, it'll say only. You're like, what does that mean? It was the fancy way of saying only. One thing. Jesus cares primarily that a person trusts him. Trust Him as their God and the one who can forever forgive the rebellion of their life called sin. That's what Jesus cares about primarily. That's what He wants primarily. Everything else is incidental in comparison. So sickness then is just one obvious gap in which people realize something is wrong, something is missing from wholeness, from this image of of God I was created for. Something's missing from that. And physical healing provides opportunity for that person to reach out to and trust Jesus for help. It's one of many gaps, but it's an important one. Through today's accounts, we just can discover that Jesus uses the mere existence of trust to heal. We also will discover that the opportunity all of us have to trust Jesus further, even today, And finally, 
We'll look at the victory that trust achieves. If we have time. I just looked at my watch. I'm not even to the first point, so that's a problem. (laughs) If we get there, at least the first two points. And my prayer is that you recognize for yourself how Jesus is asking you to step forward today to trust. Where is that gap in your life, that space that Jesus is saying, step forward, that your trust may grow, that your trust may be stretched? That's what I'm praying for you today. What is that for you? Okay? So first, we see that there is a connection that we see here and throughout the Bible and throughout the history of the church between one's trust and physical healing. There is a connection. Trust is normally required for healing because it is absolutely required for salvation. What do I mean by that? Well, trust is the tether, the string, the cord that connects us totally and absolutely to Jesus, both now and forever. Physical healing, then, is the kind of icing on the cake. It's a byproduct blessing of the salvation accomplished through the cross of Christ. So just as salvation itself comes down the tether of trust, so does most every blessing of Jesus through the cross, including physical healing. Not all the time. Sometimes Jesus heals with no trust at all just because he wants to. But much of the time, he sends it down, that wire of trust, into our lives. And so here we see, daughter, your trust has made you well, right? Verse 34. The problem occurs is when healing is requested but not granted. Healing is sought of God but not bestowed. And many are told, many who are sick, injured, being prayed for are told, well, God has withheld this because you had insufficient faith. You didn't believe enough. In fact, even as I shared that I neither witnessed or to my knowledge experienced instantaneous physical healing firsthand, as I shared that earlier, I'm certain someone, at least someone in here, wondered if not thought, man, pastor, man, he, yeah, he believes in Jesus, he has faith, but he just kind of falls short. He just has a little less. He just doesn't experience that next blessing, however they want to put it. And I know that many of you feel this. Many of you are sick or, or have ailments. I'm in pain because of my sin. Or maybe it's my lack of trust, or both. Maybe my sin is lack of trust. The sin part actually might be true. We don't have time to cover that this morning, though. That's a whole different sermon. Sometimes sickness does come as a result of sin. Not always. But if you think that this insufficient trust part is true, that that is why you haven't received healing from God, it would be more biblically honest to say, you just lack trust, period. You just don't believe in Jesus, period. That's a harder thing to say, but probably more biblically honest, I think. The more and more I I just research this thoroughly this week, the more and more I read the New Testament, Jesus and the New Testament authors don't talk in terms of enough, of sufficient. Instead, occasionally they'll say, well, you just lack trust. You are trust or faith less. It's not a matter of enough. So how do we get to this point where we're told, oh, you just don't have enough? Your faith is insufficient. Well, this is what I think the healer 
doesn't want to take blame, right? Because that would imply insufficient faith in their prayer and in their lives. Nor does he want to blame God. Oh God, it's your fault. Nor does he want to say that the person they're praying for has no faith at all. That's just too harsh. So it's a more comfortable solution that still gets the point across is saying, well, you have faith, but just clearly not enough. If you just had more. Even one of my, my favorite authors, uh, he died a long time ago, but in, in his book on healing, I was, very, I was saddened to read one of his chapter titles, and I don't think he's right, is According to the Measure of Faith in You. To talk about healing. God will heal according to the measure of faith in you. How much is in you? And of course, that phrase is biblical, but it's used to apply to gifts, to spiritual gifts God has given you and empowered you with, not to healing. God gives you gifts according to the measure of faith that is in you, not healing. But that's the way it's often used. And it's hurt many people. I'm going to say it more clearly here. The non-existence of trust, the non-existence of trust may prevent healing, but not its quality or its quantity. It's not how much or how little. And we see this even in the bleeding woman. You think she approaches Jesus with Pure, perfectly pure faith, believing this is the promised Messiah. This is why I'm coming to Jesus, because He is the promised one. No, at least at first she comes out of complete desperation. Having seen and spent on every doctor she could find, she hears reports about Jesus, we're told. It's a remarkable trust because she thinks, if I just, if I just touch His outer garments, that's all I need. So it is a remarkable trust, but the trust is imperfect. As we see in her response to Jesus calling her out, she came to him in fear and trembling, we see in verse 33, right? She misunderstands the nature of Jesus. Even though he asks this stern question, he's not going to condemn her. Her faith isn't perfect. It's not refined yet. And yet, he instantaneously heals her nonetheless, doesn't he? Jairus, the synagogue ruler, his trust in Jesus to help, even heal, is described as earnest. But like the woman, it's fueled by desperation. And though others can't spot the flaws, obviously, in Jairus' trust as he walks with Jesus, Jesus can spot him. And so he must remind Jairus, if not sternly warn, do not fear, Jairus. He senses the fear welling up in him, right? It's not a perfect trust. We see this throughout the New Testament. Later, actually, in this gospel, Mark chapter 9, Jesus encounters a man whose son is in need of healing. So the dad asks, hey, Jesus, if you can help me. And Jesus like, it literally says, you know, if you can? And Jesus like, have you been following my ministry? Have you heard the reports? If you can, really? And he goes on to say, all things are possible for the one who trusts one who believes. And the dad responds by saying, it's this great moment, I do trust. Help me overcome my lack of trust. <laughs> a perfect example of ambivalent, wishy-washy, flip-flopping, insufficient trust if there ever was one. And yet, at the mere existence of that kind of trust, even that kind of trust, Jesus grants the man's request, he heals the boy. It's not a matter of quality or quantity, but existence. Just being there. Many will point to the account of Mark 6 or Matthew 13. Jesus returns to his hometown. It says that he could not do a mighty work there 
because of unbelief. They'll say, look, that's an example. There wasn't sufficient belief in those individual people there in Nazareth. It's often quoted, there's some lack of trust in quantity or quality for healing. But the context, if you read, shows how this is not the case. The people of Nazareth were deeply offended at the boy they watched grow up was now dishing out too good to be true good news and messianic miracles. So the crowd is depicted as people with antitrust. They're actually they're, they're significantly hardened towards Jesus. It's not sort of a not enough trust or not enough measured trust. In fact, even still, even though these people just are trustless, he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. Mark 6, verse 5. He's still gracious enough to do that. I want to read something to you from one of, one of my heroes of the faith, Charles Spurgeon. Um, he's one of my dead heroes. Dead heroes are great in the faith because they can't disappoint you any longer, right? They're not going like, to ruin the church through some indiscretion. We know everything about them this point. Charles Spurgeon said of salvation through faith, but I think you'll see how this applies to healing also. He says this, see then that the weakness of faith will not destroy you. Make sure it doesn't destroy you. A trembling hand may receive a golden gift. The Lord's salvation can come to us though we have only faith as a grain of mustard seed. The power lies in the grace of God, not in our faith. Great messages can can be sent along slender wires. The peace-giving witness of the Holy Spirit can reach the heart by means of thread-like faith, which seems almost unable to sustain its own weight. How true is that of our faith sometimes? A thread-like faith. Again, that tether, that string that's real, it's almost like a, like a spider web, like a slender string, almost about to, seems like it might break at any moment. But God uses it because it's about his power, his grace, his healing. I think of another one of my heroes, Martin Luther, a bold and confident man who necessarily raged against the deceit and corruption of the church of his time. At the moment of his greatest triumph that would change the course of history, allowing us to read the Bible in our language and not Latin, Unless your language is Latin. But that's really no one's language anymore. Despite the fact that some believe Latin America, people still speak Latin there. That's a misconception. But, but this moment, allowing us to read the Bible in our own language, not Latin, and understand we are saved through sheer gift by simple trust in Jesus. At this great moment of his triumph, that he'd been building up to, he sat before the diet of worms, these great majesties with last-minute trembling. It describes him as having a lost nerve and he's just a soft-spoken confession of truth. He trembles. He's barely audible, but he was there. He showed up. That's what matters. What about you? So maybe you prayed before and it wasn't effective. Or perhaps you don't feel like you have the courage to step forward even today and let someone pray for you or you for pray for another. You don't have that kind of courage. That's, that's for other people. I don't have that kind of faith, we often think. I want to tell you the dirty little but liberating secret. Neither does anybody else save Jesus. He's the only one who showed perfect trust in the Father. And guess who presents your prayer to the Father? Guess who represents your prayer to the Father? It's Jesus. 
like Luther, showing up is enough. So it's about the existence of trust, not the quality or quantity. That's the first point. Second point we see here in the story is Jesus gives us all an opportunity for trust. All of us get this, by the way, even here this morning. All of us. It's a unique moment, actually, in the gospel accounts about Jesus, because it seems like we should have before us two separate accounts or stories, like all the other accounts we read, right? You've got two characters, two different incidents. Why not two stories, right? I mean, Laura read for a long time this morning, because these, you have these stories kind of sandwiched together and intermingling. This happens because the bleeding woman provides Jairus with two things as he witnesses her healing. One, the opportunity for trust, and two, the example of trust. Both stories include people who reach out to Jesus with imperfect trust, and in both accounts, Jesus does something to provide an opportunity for the person to stretch or grow their trust. It's fascinating how he does this. They reach out, they get the healing, or they're going to get the healing, it looks like, but then he does something to grow their trust. So the bleeding woman, look at her first. She possesses enough trust to touch only the garment of Jesus. But having felt in, the, in her body that she was healed of her disease, having felt she feels the bleeding in her stop, she's content, right, to slowly get out of the crowd and go home. And wouldn't you? You can understand that. I got my healing. Sounds good. I can go home, enjoy a nice microwave dinner in front of the TV. Let's just go. Jesus cares for her far too much to let her get away that easily. He cares for her far too much for that. So he says in verse 30, who touched my garments? You just see the crowd. Everyone just stops. Everyone look around. She can stay silent in this moment, right? Jesus isn't going to force her. He's not going to compel her. But she chooses to stay. Step into that gap, into that space that he creates for further trust to grow. And so she falls down before him, in verse 33 we're told, and told him the whole truth. The whole truth, Jesus Christ rewards her for that. He rewards that step forward. Listen to what it says, verse 34, Daughter, your trust has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. In that brief sentence, he gives her the assurance of family inclusion, right? Calling her daughter. Imagine the last time she's heard that. This woman who's hardly been able to be around people, which I'll explain why in a moment. Daughter. And he affirms that she has done the only thing necessary to be well here. Trust. That one thing. And then he assures her. He gives her assurance both of peace and of healing. She has, in fact, this has really happened to her. She could have gone home easily, got her healing and gone home. She would go home well. Would she have gone in peace? Would she have lasted without the seal of assurance which Jesus gifts her upon stepping forward? Sort of sealed. You see how he seals her trust. He, she goes home in peace. And so for her, for this woman, the initial gap between her and wholeness is sickness, right? That's what's separating her. And so her initial stepping forward and trust is touching the garment, right? So she acts, she trusts. The second gap or chasm separating her from wholeness is the humility required for her to step forward. 
when Jesus asked, who touched me? Who touched my garment? One reason this woman so desperately wanted to be healed is that her bleeding prevented her from fellowship, from worship at God's temple, and thus the most meaningful form of social contact for any Jew, any religious Jew at this time. According to Old Testament law, bleeding of this sort caused not only the person to be unclean, but any person who came in contact with the bleeder, with the person bleeding. And so in stepping forward and telling Jesus the whole truth, imagine in front of all these people, she says the whole truth, she is admitting that she is unclean, that she's made Jesus unclean and touching his t-shirt, right? And there's likely dozens more listening in who've been made unclean because they brushed up against this woman. Give her that look that she's received a lot of her life because she's not around the temple and nobody knows why. Scoffing. We see this, by the way, throughout this story, right? Scoffing. The disciples even scoff at Jesus. Come on, Jesus. All these crowds around. How can you even say who touched me? Lots of people pressing against you. This other crowd that when Jesus says, oh, she's not asleep. Or sorry, she's not dead, she's asleep. They just laugh at Jesus. There's always going to be scoffers. This woman steps forward, even though it's humbling. Then we have Jairus. First chasm between him and wholeness for him is imminent death. The death of his daughter, right? And and Jairus steps into that gap with trust. In these great verbs, he, he sees Jesus, he falls before Jesus, he implores Jesus. Seeing, falling, imploring, earnestly. But on the way to his daughter, Jesus allows himself to be interrupted when there is no time. There's no time to be interrupted, and yet he allows himself to be so. And in doing this, Jesus creates a second gap, a second space for the synagogue's ruler's trust to be either stretched or to break. Is his trust, will it be stretched or will it break? Because he creates a gap for waiting. Not only does Jesus stop, but he asks what must seem to Jairus as it does to his disciples, an impossible riddle to answer. You see the crowd pressing against you, Jesus, and yet you say, who touched me? Like, like, I know, but Jairus was like, yeah, exactly, my daughter's dying. Imagine having to endure what must seem like an inane waste of time as your daughter dies. And yet, will you trust Jesus in the waiting? That's often the space he creates, right? Even as I ask that question, you start to get a sense, I hope, That sickness then is just one of many possible cracks, gaps, and chasms into which we might step forward, that our trust might be stretched, that our trust might grow. I want to give you some other examples of this. What are are some possible spaces between you and the wholeness and the image of God for which you were created? Between you and completeness. We need some cracks, some gaps, some chasms. In some ways, these categories are just arbitrary, but I hope they help you think of examples. Cracks, weaknesses, imperfections in your life that separate you from wholeness. Maybe you're a poor speaker or soft-spoken. Maybe you doubt readily. You just doubt. Almost a number of things come up frequently. Maybe there's a bothersome ailment that you carry with you through life. Maybe there's an addiction from which you are recovering and surviving, but you're not rid of. Maybe it's a tendency to overlook people's feelings or just trample on them. Maybe it's simplicity. You don't feel like you're as smart as you could be or want to be. Maybe you lack appreciated skills. Or maybe your eyes light up and indulge in the finer things of life. 
You're just a sucker for those things, for the nice car, the nice restaurant, the nice experience. Maybe there are gaps in your life that Jesus is asking you to trust him, what to step into. A past hurt or pain that you can't overcome, and Jesus is asking you to step forward for healing for that. Maybe there's a glaring flaw in your character that you know you just need to ask the Holy Spirit to submit to you, get accountability for in your life. He's asking you to step forward to trust him with that. Maybe you've never opened your mouth to share the good news about Jesus with others. Or some other area of obedience you read about in the Bible, you just haven't done. He's asking you to step forward. Take the simple step. Trust me. Maybe you just haven't put to use a gift or talent that he's given you to serve other people. Again, he's saying, find the place to use that gift. Step forward. Maybe it's a chasm in your life, a more imminently threatening gap to your marriage, to your family, to your livelihood, to your status in God's family in the church. Maybe it's an insurmountable debt you owe. Maybe it's an act of violence with which you've been threatened. Maybe it's a, a sickness or an utterly, utterly crippling life circumstance. What is it for you? Jesus has asked you to step forward, to trust him with. Your chasm, in fact, might be the idolatry of this life. This woman, for instance, in the story, she spent all she had and suffered, notice, under many doctors. Back in this day, every village had a doctor assigned to it, a physician. And so to have seen many and suffered and then seen more, go to village to village, still suffer from the doctors, Mark tells us, but then go see more. It sounds like an obsession, right? The Bible says later, Paul says, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Do you really believe that to die is gain because you're going to be with Jesus forever? Or do, do you idolatrize this life too much? Do, will you spend all you have and suffer for this physical life because you're not content to be with Jesus? Some will. I pray you're not facing that decision right now, and I know that's a hard decision. Multiple bouts of chemo, multiple doctors, multiple searches torturing your body even. It's a legitimate question. Or maybe because this life has become an idol, you're over-hoping in a healing. You take some Bible verse out of context and say, look, I know God is going to heal me. I know He's going to. I know it says right here in the Bible. I'm claiming this promise. But if you're really honest, it's something that's separating you from God. It's a gap in your life. And you say, no, trust me. Surrender to me, even in your ailment. Maybe that's what he's calling you to step into. But in a nutshell this morning, just summarize this message. And I think what Jesus is saying here, and the point for us, is step forward into the space God has created to stretch and grow your trust. Step forward. If you remember two words, step forward. That's how he wants to grow your trust. There's no other way. Jesus cares supremely about that link, that tether between you and him. He wants to nurture it. He wants to strengthen it. He wants to stretch it. He wants to grow it so that it, it will last, so that you will last with him. And what is that for you? I believe there's something for every person here, some gap. It might be a sickness or injury. It might be something else. I'm going to give you one more example. In a moment, we're going to ask those who are sick or injured to step forward and stand up. And that's going to be a gap. But I also know that I'll ask others to pray for them, people around them. That might be you. You don't have any control right now. Someone near you might stand up. 
your crack gap chasm might be praying for somebody's healing. God commands us to. He asks us to. And yet you're nervous. But that's where he wants to stretch your faith. That's the space he wants you to step into. My encouragement for you is to step forward, to pray for that person. One last point from this verse here. He says that touching a garment, right? Just touching a garment and relying on Jesus or taking by the hand and saying Talitha Kumi. In both cases, you get a touch and a word. It's very simple. Jesus gives a touch and a word to heal. Praying, asking Jesus to heal a sick person isn't rocket science. It doesn't require a class, a seminar, or a word study. The smallest shred of trembling trust on your part, and the rest is up to King Jesus. I heard a story recently from a pastor friend who said um, he was 10 years old when he first experienced healing for himself. And he said, very simply, I trusted Jesus. I had a migraine headache. He said he had these debilitating migraine headaches as a 10-year-old. And, and he just was having this particularly bad one. And he says, Jesus, I can't deal with this anymore. So I need you to stop by the count of three. You need to stop this migraine. <laughs> He's 10 years old. Jesus honored that faith. He said, one, two. And he said, as he started to say three, he felt this warmth from his stomach come up and take away his headache, his migraine. All things are possible for him who trusts, no matter how great that trust is. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot of interest and controversy surrounding the issue of healing, but it's not complicated. You love us. You care for us. One day you'll heal us completely. And so you love to break into this life as people just trust you, step out, to show that you love them, to show that you're there for them, to show that you're worthy of their trust. Father, I pray whatever gap is in our life today, in 2014, maybe there's, there's a step forward you want us to take both now and for this year between us and wholeness, something that's missing, something we know has been gnawing at our heart. That's you, the Holy Spirit. We know that. Help us. Give us the courage just to step into that gap, step into that space to trust you so that our f- trust might be stretched and grow and we might know you better. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, knowing his great power. Amen.